0: Herbeck. And today I'm here with John Connors and Milt Rosberg of Vanguard for the second in a series of podcasts that uh, is about uh, the Vanguard people, the team, the context, uh, the company, uh, and, and what they've been up to. And uh, there's been some interesting uh, events and activities since the last podcast recorded, uh, including the conference. So maybe, uh, gentlemen, if I can let you start us off by just giving us an update about what Vanguard has been up to.
1: Sure. This is John Connors. I'm the president of Vanguard. Yeah, I'm Milt Rosberg, Global VP. And yeah, uh, welcome everybody. And like I said, we just got back from a conference. Uh, last month we did our annual security conference. And it's a security conference based upon industry, you know, ZOS primarily, but mostly security stuff. As a matter of fact, one of the highlights that occurred there was we, one of our competitors, Carlos Flores from uh, Broadcom, yep. was given an award for a lifetime achievement medal from the chairman. Okay. Uh, so we had a really good time. It was a very good event. We had a lot of folks there, a good training event and a good learning event for everybody.
2: Yeah, we had uh, internationally we had a fair number of participants, banks, insurance companies. One of the things that was interesting, we probably had about thirty percent of the attendees was a first time visit. That was good too, yeah. It was real good. And so that helped us get a feel for the people are trying to learn. Uh, RACF, ACF2, and Top Secret, and they wanted to be there and understand security. We also had a big audit presence, which was a little larger than the last time. So it was good to see everybody and not do a Zoom call. Oh yeah, the, you know, the last couple of years, it's all
1: been Zoom. It was great to have an in-person <laughs> event again.
0: Oh, yeah, no, I believe that. So um, that said, I gather that you've got some other stuff coming up in the near future as well, uh, including um, going to uh, conferences outside of Darden.
1: Yeah, uh, Milton Company are going to be at GSE in the UK. Is that in the UK or is that Germany this time? No, no, it's in the UK. In the UK this time. And so that's
2: the week of the 4th of November. Yep. And uh, we're looking forward to be there. That also, the attendee list is. Uh, good size everybody's they're completely sold out at the hotel so it should be a good wow. uh, a good audience a lot of lot of major banks and insurance companies in the UK will be there and some of the other vendors are bringing uh, using this as an opportunity to bring people in all over Europe so it's should be a well attended learning session Thanks.
0: Now, one of the things that we sort of talked briefly about on our last podcast, but really is is such an important part of the the growing and development of the mainframe as the, the platform of record, is the fact that we have so many critical resources and so many critical people with access to those resources. And so too often, the response to that is just being, look, give the trusted people all the access they need to get their job done. And in a world where people can be sneaking onto your mainframe from the outside or not be as trustworthy as they should be on the inside that's no longer an appropriate response to securities. And I understand you guys have been doing some work on, um, on helping organizations get a, a much deeper, more uh, reliable handle on things such as privileged access. Maybe if you can talk about that and some of the other things you guys have been working on at that point.
1: Sure, so when you talk about privileged access, you're really talking about like identity fraud and stuff that's all internal from the ability of a person who has privilege access. Let's talk about what that is. So privilege access in our mind is people that have the ability to change and monitor or manage the security of a system. That includes all the data, the objects, the rules, all the different things on that. And you gotta be very, very careful with the term, privilege access management or privilege access monitoring because you find a tendency in this industry to use the same acronym. So be careful when you're talking to folks. Yeah. see an acronym called PAM and it actually can mean both of those things depending upon who you're talking to the privileged access management or the privilege access
2: monitoring they can also find it depending on the platform and the vendor software provider and how it was built and how it was organized mm-hmm. and uh, on, in the zos environment uh, we use a variety of tools to help with the management part and then we have some really powerful tools we use on a monitoring side. So that's kind of grown over
1: time. Mm -hmm. And we gotta be careful too, because these privilege access management and privilege access monitoring are actually platform specific, so be careful. You know, you'll have people say, well, we have a monitoring solution, you know, for our entire enterprise. And then you actually dig down into the covers and you find out, well, that may be true. That's more like a SOC or a notification system than it is in a, a management and monitoring system. It's not mm-hmm. platform specific.
0: Of so course, with stuff like LDAP, where you you know it's trying to treat all securities equal, you know, which is is nice for a handy dandy way of, of authenticating across the organization. But when it comes to in-depth management security, all security is not equal, is it?
1: Well, that's true. LDAP is a good example. There's a couple of good authentication protocols. LDAP, RADIUS, a couple other ones that are out there, you know, Active Directory, all of those things are independent and are great for authentication, but authorization and access is a totally different thing. Typically, ZOS, Unix, Windows, they all have their authentication separate from their authentication, and that's where you have to be careful because the access you really want to monitor and the access you want to manage is typically platform-specific.
0: Was you think about the the wide range of different types of resources and the different ways of defining them, depending on whether you're talking ACF2 or top secret or RACF, uh, you know, and mm-hmm. the challenge of mapping them between them. Uh, that that must be a, a really important type of expertise. And you're talking about the auditors, even training the auditors and understanding that that level of nuance, which is actually pretty critical, must be quite a challenge.
1: Well, it, it is too. Even from an acronym point of view, like you said, mm-hmm. you know, top secret AC2 and rack F. Even though they're all the same ESM on the same platform, which is interesting, right? They're all ZOS. They're external security managers for ZOS itself. But each one of them actually reutilizes specific terms differently. Mm-hmm. If I think yeah, of RAC-F
0: and, RAC-F profile,
1: and I think about a profile in top secret, one is a group and one is a resource. They're completely yeah. different.
0: Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's interesting you bring up the auditors. Yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's interesting you
2: bring up the auditors. We attended in a soccer conference probably six months ago now, and uh, it was one of the most important topics that they had. Is the the people that have the privilege to do whatever they want to do, the auditors are being pressed by the external auditors to make sure uh that the people that have access they're able to understand what they're doing when they're doing it how they're doing it not necessarily how they were assigned their position or what role they had mm. but what are they actually doing on the system and what activity they have and how is that being watched and how are you controlling that and that's kind of the difference between the two different pams if you think about it right
1: mm. previous access management is what we would historically would have said what is the role that you have what is the access that you currently possess not what have you actually done with that access which mm-hmm. is what the monitor is so if you think about it i might be an elevated privilege user for instance system special or you know have a non-cancel or an acf2 or racket and you think about those i can do whatever i want the fact that i have their privilege is not necessarily the fact that i use the privilege both nefarious or good, doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, what are you doing with that privilege?
0: Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, um, I I guess one of the challenges must be to sort of install the concepts in the brains of those who need to make decisions and implement and use these as much as to have the solution then that enables them to be effective.
1: Well, I think that's what Milt was trying to allude to there when he talked about the ISACA. So you think Mm. about the auditing positions. It used to be years ago, you would have audit on what do you have access to. You would have ownership or privilege access or access monitoring that would say, okay, every year I'm going to annually certify what these people have. Well, that's Mm. good, but you want to really go the next step. Not only do I have all of these people that have these privileges, and I've recorded those, and I've reported on those, and I've approved those through a business process, But now what happens if they use their privilege? Do I monitor what they did and the change to the system and the change to the security profile of the company? And is that being reviewed either instantaneous, near real time, or maybe over time at a different level? Those are the kinds of things that the the world has changed. It used to be auditors would look at that annual business process. Now they really want to see your evidence-based, are you doing things near real time or at least you know, after action, real time. So you know, those, those things are coming through. Well,
0: configuring to monitor for stuff must be a challenge. I mean, granted, the mainframe is not as resource constrained now as it was back in the early days, and yet you can't, you still can't really monitor everything, or can you?
1: Well, that depends on who you are. <laughs> <laughs> So there are tools, and actually we, we we actually do have some of those, but there's two different methods you can think about that. So the ZOS platform itself has what they call SMF, which is the system monitoring facility within it. So and it monitors all the ESMs and all the different actions that are going on if you set it up. That's the key to it, if you set it up. So for instance, if you tell it to record violations on specific data sets, Sure, it will monitor all those, and you can do these things. You can alert on them. You could do some after-actions reporting. You could do annual certification that they were utilized. But it doesn't give you that near real time on everything unless you spent the time to do it. And there's your resource constraint you were just talking about. How much resources can you put forward on those things? Hmm. So you really have to have to decide what that is. Our accountability for Pam is a little bit different. Okay, we start looking at Pam from a monitoring point of view by putting in, if you will, a, a system of resources that actually looks at things as they go through the security management system. Whether it's ACF two top secret, you know, doesn't really really does matter to us. Those things are called to remember. These are all external security managers. So that means you're actually asking the question to the security manager, can I have access and what did I do with that access? So now you can get into the thing of using less resources by monitoring activity and we can monitor the activity that happens. And if something happens that's of interest to us, now we can actually start digging down in. We can throw out all the chaff, but keep the wheat, if you will, for when we need to have this by monitoring
2: the actual utilization.
1: You know, John, you bring this
2: up, one one of the things mentioned with the auditors and some of the events that I would attend is the number of records that are being exfiltrated off systems all day long. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the strategies of organizations that have the advanced persistent threat is the best thing they can do is try to get the best credentials as possible. So if there's any chance they could get a credential of somebody that's a authorized person to do whatever they want on the system, now they have built the keys to get whatever they need whenever they want. Sure. And uh, I think there was just one with Uber as an example. They were able to do that on an AWS system. It happened a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a it's a matter of how do we really manage the uh, the system as much as we can to find out how you can monitor it to see who's looking at what, when they're looking at it, and what information can we provide for the security of that architecture. And
1: and therein lies the really big problem. You have the day-to-day operations, privileged access users, right? right? They're going about life and they're doing their job the way they're supposed to. They're gonna have thousands and thousands of events throughout a year that are actually authorized, controlled, and approved events. And here you have somebody, an APT, some sort of threat that comes in and hijacks that credential, whatever it is. And there's many ways to hijack a credential. But they get authority to do something. Now you have a person who may do something that is unauthorized, right. not approved, yep. and did not go through change management or something like that. And we can trigger on those kind of events and then go, OK, was this the norm? Was it not the norm? Those are the kinds of things you want to look at because just going through SMF, which can be millions upon millions and millions of records, yep. and hopefully that an eyeball got it. No, you want an automated system that monitors the effective use of the ESM at the time when it happens, and hopefully
2: intermixes with some sort of control system that you can say this was an approved change or not approved change. Yeah. And do we look at it? I, I see that we typically have uh, access by user accounts as two different types, mm-hmm. right? One is human users, and then the other would be automated non-human users.
1: And those are ones that can be compromised easy if we think about it, right? We, we think about the non-human. U- human users typically are nefarious or they made a mistake, one of the two, right? Okay. But non-human users are the ones I get a kick out of because I was just on a system the other day in Africa that surprised me that they had a non-human user that all the humans knew the identity and password. Oh. I'm like, that's not a good <laughs> non-human
0: user. <laughs> no. Oh.
2: Well, we were talking to a client. They said that they they were using the Robart credentials. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I remember that. Right. Right. We were talking to a client, and they said to us, "We need some help with this. Were the people taking the credentials of the Robart and logging into the mainframe system and just doing that it was easier?" And they could bypass yeah. MFA and all the other kind of stuff. So be careful that we don't think that our
1: automated non-human users are not being used. By the human <laughs> user. Well, and but this they is such
0: be. a big issue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, somebody has access to a script somewhere that's got a clear text user ID and password and is talking to the mainframe in order to do something, and it's probably got all kinds of access just so they don't have to keep adding access to it, don't they?
1: Exactly. Right. Typically those automated users that we see out there, and I like the way you put it, they're clear text passwords being stored in some other facility. They might be in a notepad, they might be in a configuration file, and somebody knows those because you gave them out for them to put them in those files and then they reuse them. And those those are
2: typically extremely elevated users because of ease of use, right? So those are the ideal ones if you were gonna jump onto a system and do something you shouldn't do, those would be good ones to get. Sure, remember the Disney hack years ago? Somebody had
1: a notepad with thousands of user IDs in it, and they just went down the list. <laughs> That's what happens.
0: Now, uh, this gets back to not merely educating the individual auditor or security professional or just professional, but the entire culture. Um, and, and I understand you guys have, have uh, had encounters of, with organizations that had a really tight cultures as good examples, and, and they've had you sit down and do some pretty exhaustive stuff. But I'm wondering, you know, how does that map to the culture of mainframe shops that have perhaps gotten complacent just because they didn't have the uh, bandwidth to, to keep up with the level of scrupulousness they needed?
1: Wow, that's a, that's a mouthful there, to be honest. Because you've <laughs> really you got a couple things really in there that are I hope we don't overlook. And that is the bandwidth of the humans that are doing this job. You're right. Over time, those, they've been inundated and overrun with the amount of responsibilities that they have. And that has exasperated us without a doubt. But you also have the ability of regular business practices, right? You have administrative accounts. You have uh, emergency accounts. You have application service accounts. You have developers that are allowed to run DevOps in different places and stuff like that. And if you think about all those things, we've kind of lost control at some point. And the right way to get control is by the monitoring. Because all Mm. those things exist. For business reasons, they have to exist. But if we're monitoring those solutions, not just granting access. So if you got the, the the access management, one part of Pam, and you're monitoring all of that, doing that. But on the back end, if you're monitoring the utilization of those specific accounts and the things they do, and you can trigger off of an event that they did, now you can d- do a deep dive with less resources over time, right? Because you only have to look at the things that matter to you critically. And it's all about the manpower at that point. do you, ha- you don't have enough time to do every event that ever happened. But if you could focus on and have the ability to focus on this event, this session, this is the thing I want to go down and look at,
2: that's where real privilege access monitor comes into play. You bring that up, John, we met with a client recently and uh it was a bank and they have branches and inside the branches they would have two or three tellers Mm -hmm. and the tellers had they all had the same password if i think it was and -hmm. the branch manager had the i'm just going to call it the telepassword for the branch Mm -hmm. so if you came into that branch you got the password for the branch and there Mm -hmm. wasn't any real accountability because they had basically elevated rights to do whatever they needed to do to do their business every single day, mm-hmm. and uh, so well, convenience uh, sometimes outruns security. There's no doubt right, right about that, that. Yeah. right? And mm-hmm.
0: We all see that. They,
2: then the auditors came to and said, "You know, you need to put some controls in place so we know that the foretellers is exactly what these people are doing, when they're doing it, how they're doing it. So we're working to help them solve that particular problem." but I was just I almost fell over when I heard about it cuz you wouldn't think in today's market space you wouldn't have the controls in place but they have software when you talk about the mainframe and the systems they have they have you know legacy systems that have been there for 20 years they've been running their business fine never had a problem but now they maybe tipped over one and they want to start solving that kind of an issue well, I think they trip over things when things happen. And,
1: Reg, I think that goes back to what you said, the amount of people doing the amount of things that they're doing, right? So typically, if you think about the world today, we're re- we're reactive to when things went bad because of the overload you talked about, right? All of the things you're talking about from an access point of view, they've existed forever, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. The only difference was is that 30 years ago, in the mainframe, specifically in ZOS, and back then it was, you know, IBM systems, you know, whatever they were called at the time, 36, 37. Not to age myself or anything, but when you look mm-hmm. at those systems back then, you probably had a staff of 30 or 40 people doing the work that you might have three or sure four doing today. Yep. Right. And we 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 have to have tools such as privileged access monitoring to do that automated the work of all of those people because the work didn't go away. The events didn't go away. As a matter of fact, they've gotten worse. More people now know how to hack a ZOS system because there was a lot of obscurity on this platform for many decades. But now with the you know YouTube and you know if you go out there and try to do hack ZOS on a YouTube, you'll find 20 examples of actually critical ways to infiltrate this system and exfiltrate information off of those systems and they can carry their z around with them Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's true too yeah (laughs) you can carry a copy of a z now on a laptop if you want to (laughs) and you can learn and that's that's another one i mean you go out there and you look and there's you know open source systems that out there that let you emulate this platform and practice you just like if you go out to you know any kind of you know hacking course that's online today they're going to be platforms that you can practice on including zos which gives you the ability to go out and try these things if you can exfiltrate a a, a data or user id and an information now you can use that and now you can get clean
2: more data off of that. So you can come in as the robot get onto the system and have a happy time absolutely and if only if there's less and less people talking about those
1: you know then you're gonna have less and less people doing it and if you don't have a good monitoring solution hopefully you do and maybe you have some solution out there that's reporting to some sort of you know sock or not or into maybe a security event manager or something like that you're going to have to have those kind of things because you can't maintain any kind of vill- villages if you don't have some tool both collecting the information reporting the information and a human being monitoring the information
0: well, that's so important but because th- intelligence you know not just artificial intelligence but human intelligence as well is is so essential to this, this practice go ahead
1: well there are some good things that ai can can help you with right ai is a great inve- invention of the ability to monitor something and take an immediate action faster than a human absolutely but at the end of the day a human being has to make the determination AI can maybe cut you off, can turn off the port, can shut off the terminal, can do something based upon an action that somebody told it to, but at the after actions part of why did that person do it, what was the collective reason for it, was it a person inside, was it by accident, those are all things that take human characteristics to go evaluate the information and see if it's, you know, why was it there. And so at the end of the day, some human has to be responsible, AI can trip, trip and or trip the trigger and go take an action to prevent further loss, but the after actions typically have to still be a human at this point.
0: So well, I mean, I know you guys t- have some outstanding tools for doing this and I want you to tell us about them at some point. But before we do, I want to ask you a little bit about what's the process of properly configuring a security or auditing or even technical person to be one of these people whose experience and intelligence interacts effectively with such tools.
1: Well, that's a really good question. Actually, there are some good um, uh, places to do that. As a matter of fact, I'm going to put a plug in for our conference just to let you know. <laughs> but that's actually a good example. You have to be diligent in this. You have to attend and learn constantly. And Vanguard is one of the security providers that actually teaches these different things. Not only at a not only at a ZOS level or a F, which we've been known for like you know close to forty years now where we've been the RACF experts, and we teach people how to think about how RACF should process, think about what the rules are, think about what the exposures are, and then give them real-world examples at the conference on we brought hackers in there and shown them how this is done. We've done real-world examples on the fly. We've had open contests with people at these at these conferences. Hey, here's a system, hack it, let's show everybody how to do it. So you have to stay diligent to do that, and you have to attend. ISACA conferences if you're an auditor yeah. and you have to understand the auditing principles as they change. You got to go to security conferences with IBM, with Vanguard, with CA, if you're in that industry. But whatever your industry principles are, those are the folks you got to learn every day. If you don't, if you're not learning every day in this
2: industry, you're not staying current. in this industry. It's just that simple. Mm. You know, you bring that up. One of the things that I'm finding because of my youth uh, <laughs> <laughs> is that, uh, Recently, I was working with one of our clients and they just got a new CISO in who had never had never been involved with the mainframe at all. Oh boy. Well-educated, lots of background, great education, smart guy. And he was concerned about privilege access uh, management and monitoring. And he looked at some tools just for privilege access. Mm-hmm. And they were getting ready to place an order with us. And he called us and he says, you know, I'm a little concerned why i have to buy uh get the stuff for the zos machine when i can get all this other stuff in the open systems they're going to take care of my privilege access Mm -hmm. it it took us a while i think we were on the phone with him for like two and a half hours and we explained how the zos platform works and one of the things that he really really liked was the ability to get real-time reporting through uh our active alerts and other companies have things and get it out to their sim they happen to be a splunk user and we could get that information out to them get it into the easy to use uh screens that were you know they had the dashboards the right? dashboards that had the graphs and all the other kind of stuff that the executives like to look at but it was just an interesting because he was not a mainframe person mm-hmm. he had a real hard time grasping the power of what the zos mm-hmm. platform but you look at something like you just said, a SIM, and, and we'll use
1: Splunk as an example because you brought that one up. Splunk can consume, like we talked about earlier, the SMF records. Those are millions upon millions of records every day. Yeah, And they're not specific to a security event, to an access management, to an elevated privilege user. And the difference is, is taking, do you have this big bucket of all these events and you expect somebody to build filters and tools and dashboards and everything to relate to them? Or do you buy an independent tool that narrows down the focus that says this is an event this is a security event this is a privilege access security event and it builds upon those and then triggers a specific dashboard and that's where we come in at the end of the day splunk is an excellent tool but you got to have the add-on feature that says i'm going to narrow it down to on my zos platforms for my banking applications if things are changed by an authorized user in this area of the data that I care about, now trigger an event. So that's how you get down to where the, the intelligence and the machines and the application can trigger a human
0: to go do something. right? Hmm. I can mean, assume there's also some uh, activities that can be triggered automatically, uh, perhaps using intelligence, but that can happen on platform in real time. Uh, what, what role do you play in that?
1: Well, there's kind of two ways to do that, right? If you think about it, you can be prevented, proactive, if you will, or you could be reactive. And we have both type of programs in there. We have a thing called Enforcer, for instance, that will actually look for certain security events that changes in the database. And if those changes happen, roll those changes back. That's kind of a reactive mechanism, right? See something happen. Oops, that's not supposed to happen. Let's change it back. We also have a tool that Milt likes to tout about a lot recently because he's had a lot more success with it, which is proactive, okay? And that's our policy manager. So one of the things you got to think about when you talk about privilege access management is the ability to actually put in proactive tools that says, even though your elevated privilege is allowed, I only want you to do a subset of that. So in other words, in RACF, we'll use that one as an example, you have a thing called system special well system special gives you the ability to do everything on the platform it's like the oh my god i can do everything user in the world we have a tools that will come in and you should review things like this that proactively say oh wait a minute no i know you're allowed to do everything but i'm going to take away everything that's not within your job if you're not allowed to do data sets i can remove the ability to do data sets and let you just manage users if you're not allowed to do general resources i'm going to prevent those If there's certain general resource or data profiles that are highly privileged, and I don't want junior system programmers or security guys to manage, only senior, I can put in proactive controls with a thing called policy manager that prevents you from executing those commands. Even though you have that large scale, you know, system-wide universal access from a privileged access point, I can control that and proactively prevent
0: that. I'm going to guess a big part of that process is sort of the discovery process of, of identifying when you've got somebody who's been there for 40 years and has collected access throughout their career to, to you know, find out which accesses are actually still needed for their current role and then get them to let go of the rest.
1: Well, that actually leads you into a kind of a different product or a project that we have in product both called Cleanup. Because what you just well, described happens in every... Cl- I don't care who you are. And even mm-hmm. in my role as the company, I probably have not lost the access I need as I've elevated myself through the company, right? I still have access to yeah. everything that I need. And that's what happens over four years.
2: I've yeah.
1: had this privilege or that privilege, but do I need or use them? And what you have to do is you got to combine multiple things. You have, to mon- you have to monitor over time to see if I actually use those and then remove those that I have not used. We actually recommend specifically, you look at things for 400 days. So you've gone through your entire business life cycle for a year, right? Your end of year, your closeout, your quarters and all that. Mm-hmm. And then you can produce reports, what's called you know, the uh, access that has happened, okay? And we compare that to the access that's available and say, wait a minute, you've got all this access that you've accumulated, but you've only used of that, what do we do about this other Mm -hmm. 40%? Should we remove it? And then we give you the ability to use that on a ZOS platform and say, okay, let's compare that. If I make these changes, what's gonna happen to your access? So you know the results before that happens. That's called offline, actually. It's a simulation product we have. Can you you, archive your access?
0: Sorry, go ahead.
1: Actually, yes. We we actually give you the commands to remove the access and we give you the commands to replace the access bank that you took away and that's a funny story because we did that because guess what i can guarantee you friday night you're going to make that move and saturday morning the ceo yeah, to be right. on the phone going oh my god you did this
2: and we have to have recovery." so yes everything yeah. we do has the ability to back in and back out you know john you you mentioned i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you there but we had a client that was working with us uh, because they had access from people that were no longer there and that particular access was called surrogate class of RACF oh, yeah. mm-hmm. and it was a huge audit finding for them and they spent years getting that thing cleaned up. They didn't do it in one day. They collected for a year and then they started the next year after and after and they had some, I don't know the number, shoot, a couple hundred thousand over some period of time that, you know, because they hadn't made any cleanup in, you know, 30 some odd years. And that's another example of somebody that had a nefarious attitude, wanted to do something wrong. They can grab a surrogate class information from somebody that's no longer there, put a job on the system, do certain things, and then get rid of the fingerprint because you keep rolling that thing forward. For those of you who don't know, surrogate access is actually indirect
1: access. In other words, I don't need Milt identity. I can actually submit a job as Milt if I'm authorized to use Milt's identity. So it's called indirect mm-hmm. in access. Yep. And
0: it's that Unix indirect
1: SU. of similar, yes, you can do an SU without a password at the end of the day on Unix oh. is identically the same thing. Yep. You know, if I'm mm-hmm. authorized or if I'm in a pseudo user one or there's many different ways to do that on Unix and ZOS. And if you have indirect access, are you monitoring the use of that indirect access? Mm -hmm. And in circuit class, it can go level after level after level, and that becomes a very hard cleanup. So think about it from a Unix aspect, right? I can sudo to John, I can sudo to Bob, I can sudo, and I can just continue that process and Mm -hmm. jumping from user ID to user ID to user ID, as long as I know that. The big difference in the the RAGF world was, is that there's no password
2: required. Right, so that's a big thing you need to be, we talk about privileged users all the time. Effectively, with that capability, you created a privileged user. And you've per- yeah. created a privilege user chain. Right. And you got to look at every
1: link in that
0: chain. Right, because if you have access to, as a surrogate to somebody with low authority, but other surrogates, and they have access to people with higher authority, that would be a real problem in that chain. Exactly. Yeah. No. Yeah, if you're a low-level
1: user, just logs in, and you can submit as a high-level user. You got the keys of the kingdom.
0: Yeah. Well, that that's really important. You know, I, one of one of the things that wasn't that much the case, except for the advanced user on the mainframe for a long time, was the idea that there were sort of little, you know, hidden doors that you could go through in order to substantially increase your access. And although you know IBM statement of integrity says you don't have to have it that way, people sort of allowed it to be that way because they were too busy. Uh, I'm going to guess that there are some other things like that that you've encountered as well. You're referring, for example, to DB2 data. Um, what, what sort of things, because DB2 is just an absolutely complex uh, environment that serves up a really simple model. Um, what sort of things have you encountered under DB2 that have that similar indirection that you have to uh, deal with?
1: Well, DB2 is even more complex, like you said, yeah. depending yeah. upon whether you got secondary authorizations, whether you have group right. authentication authorizations, so again, you're talking about multiple levels of security integrity. So IBM's statement, and I like the way you brought that up, the integrity statement says that, and they're very, very good at it. They say the mm-hmm. system is it has integrity if you configure it properly.
2: And it does. If you configure
1: it properly, I can yeah. guarantee you that this platform or any platform done securely is good. But it's that miss. You know, direction that happens is that you forgot this step, you added that surrogate, you added a group connect to a secondary authorization in uh, a DB2 table that you didn't realize gave them in, in, access to a system table, which gave them access to be able to, to grant themselves authority throughout the system. So, those are again, those are chains, right? Because you chain from a a uh, RACF group or, you know, secondary off group in, in ACF2 into a table that's within the system authorization in DB2 to a system table that gives you ability to do a grant authority in there. So again, those are links in a chain, but it takes all of them and
2: specifically takes all the knowledge to use those. Mm. In the DB2, we get a fair number of requests per year to work with our clients or prospects to take the DB2 and put it on the control of the external security manager, F, And uh, it's not a trivial job. It's not a trivial job. And that's,
1: you know, when you talk about DB2, that's one of the caveats you gotta be careful with because DB2 has internal security, right, as he's talking about, and it has external security, and then it has a combination of both security. Yeah.
2: So yeah.
1: and it has fall through security. So again, you uh, the, the the knowledge of what you're laying down and how it can be exploited becomes very important as to what you're doing. And again, that well, cascade. Oh yeah, yeah. All of the most security cascades and people don't realize that when you're going to especially like plat, off platform migration. You talked about LDAP, which is a good one, right? You you link that data out externally. What can I do to exploit that? Now I don't need to know the data of the platform I'm on, but the data of the platform I'm going to go to, it doesn't matter. If I can exploit from an Active Directory system that has that data connected to it, it doesn't matter. It mm-hmm. definitely
2: cascades at
0: well, Of course, uh, you know, on the one hand, we're talking about the users here and, and their relationship with each other and chaining each other. But then there's the data itself, and, and I gather that just being able to properly characterize and identify and monitor critical data is is a whole discipline that you guys are engaged with.
1: Well, critical data, every company is different. Let's be serious, right? All companies are. And you, you, you call it critical data and it's literally what do you define as critical to your business? And if your business is banking, your critical data is probably the money. So what's protecting that money? Well, is that money nowadays is all electronic at the end of the day? What data sets is in that? What privilege, what information for account numbers is in that? So now you have to, again, you're cascading different things, right? So I know that the account numbers are in that database. That database consists of a bunch of files. Those files are being protected by a security manager. They have internal security for DB2 that let me do selects. They have external security that lets me copy those data sets all of those things have to be monitored at the same time that means you have to have a very complex system that not only monitors the use of the data the type of data the tables that are in it the user the actual privileged user what did they do day to day and what did the system allow to be exfiltrated off and on that system so there's a it's a very complex thing now yes we do have many tools that look at you know the ability for the person to make those changes the accesses that they're requested, the data sets they utilize, the general resources that they use to grant themselves access to that data. So there's many different ways to do that, but all of those have to be monitored together to give you that holistic view of what's happening.
0: I'm gonna guess SMF by itself is only one dimension of
1: that. Uh, Really, actually I think SMF is not only one dimensional, but requires, like we talked about the integrity statement, right? Requires a human to actually set it up to do something. So SMF, most systems in the world out there are not going to do what's called, you know, record access of success. It's just too much information. So by default, it's only set for violations or bad things that happen, okay? Mm -hmm. So you have to take some sort of action that Because remember now, we're talking about privilege access, right? I have access to that data. I want to monitor mm-hmm. that ad. So I'm already in that successful condition because I'm an authorized user to that information. So what I really need to know is, is an authorized user using that data in a way that it shouldn't use. And that's the real question, right? The question is is, do you, as an authorized user, performing your job, did we record the information to make sure that you did your job when you're supposed to do your job at the time you're authorized to do your job? Those are all key things that you got to look in. A, when you talk about privileged access monitoring, you have to monitor all of them and then throw away the things that you don't need because they were good and then only event trigger and go deep dive into the
2: things that matter to you. But you got to collect it all before you can make that decision. John, I was at a client. of our clients and ran into the CISO. Uh, As you know, we attend the CISO events. Mm -hmm. We have not for the last couple of years because of the COVID thing, but prior to that, we attended them. And when I was on site, he asked me, he said, and they're in the insurance sector. He said, I'm having a problem with sometimes every once in a while by having people logging into the system at odd hours mm-hmm. and we need to make sure we know exactly what they're doing during those odd hours and they had a whole team of because they were very concerned about the PII data and other information that people would grab and get into the wild or they're selling it it could have been about a movie star or whatever it happened to be or somebody famous you know they want to get the information but These people are logging on. This one particular individual is logging on. They couldn't find out exactly what they were looking at. Their normal work hours were not two and three o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. And uh, so those are the kind of triggers, but now what do they look at? Mm -hmm. How do they get to it? What files are they into? Well, that's where we come into play on some of that. So some of
1: that today we exist in the monitor everything. Yep. And then eventually the trigger comes in, like you said. Yep. Okay. And you have that information because they access that. But at some point, and this is in the future, this is not today. Some point in the future, and we even see this, we're going to combine an AI and a security system into an integral part to do that monitoring at the same time. Yep. So it could record over time the ability for you to know what you just said. And that's the ability for you to look at Milt as a human being as an activity on a system, and not just on ZOS, but across the universe. Milt logged into to the VPN, Milt logged into the ZOS, Milt logged into the ATM, Milt logged, and you have lots of large data that do that. You wanna combine an AI infrastructure with that infrastructure of the data that's traveling across the universe, and then say, okay, wait a minute, Milt normally only comes in from eight to five. Why is he coming in at two o'clock in the morning? <laughs> and those, that's the future of real security, is when you have AI and security as an autonomous system to notify the humans, hey, milk wasn't supposed to be here tonight. Now, what do you want me to do?
0: Well, you know, since we're talking about the future, and, and I, I know it's important to distinguish what, between what you already have, which is a really impressive tool set, you know, and where you're planning to go in the short term and what your vision is for the long term. But maybe you can kind of do that, just kind of, you know, paint a picture. What can we do today that's going to make this difference you're talking about? And then how do you see the future? What are the challenges? I know security is not a a journey with an end to it, but what are the things over the next, say, decade or more that are gonna be needed to respond to and the kind of technologies that are gonna, and and other responses that are gonna be part of that, building on what you have already?
1: You know, you cracked me up with that statement because you said security is a, a, you know, uh, how did you put it, a a road well-traveled? Journey, not destination, (laughs) I guess you could say, yeah. A journey, not destination because I can recall about 40, almost 45 years ago, me and my father having a conversation about me getting into this field and him saying this was a dying field. And I'm like, now that's uh-huh. where I'm gonna make it out of it. And it was in crypto specifically, okay? And it was funny because he was a cryptographer you know, years ago. And, uh, but y- you crack me up with that because you're right. This is a journey, absolutely a journey. And we currently, as a company we have many different product lines that deal specifically with security whether you're talking about day-to-day operational efficiencies where you're talking about privilege access management those are things that allow you to record where you are today which includes what access do you have what privileges do you have what things you're allowed to do who's the business owner can we report back to those those are operational things okay and we have we have many different things then yeah. you talk about the things the after actions we have also things like smf reporting we, we do total smf reporting where you can have a human sit down and parse through many many different types of things who did what when did they do it what was violations how were those things but then you also have automated responses like enforcer and active alerts yeah. which gives you the ability to trigger in on finite details but then we've also migrated into a milk brought up the dashboards, which is really the way the world has gone to, which is I need a automated system to give me that red, green, yellow dashboard that tells me these events are happening. And from an executive point of view, okay, let's, I don't care about the green ones this week. I wanna see what's happening in these other ones and I can escalate those. But then we also go into other realms of the future, which is the proactive and preventative parts, right? Not only can we monitor them, but hopefully we will get to the point where we can monitor these actions, prevent these actions, and then maybe actually lock these systems down through some sort of intelligence to make them automatically adapt to these kind of security requirements. That's where I see the future going.
2: Let make a comment here on what you were talking about on the second item on efficiency. Mm-hmm. We see a big push with our clients and we have I think, three or four active programs we're working on right now to help large clients improve their operational efficiency in the reporting off, collecting the data and reporting it in a consolidated format like you were talking about, and easy to read reports, speeding up the process. Where we use our aggregation delivery capability, helping them put the fixes and maintenance and all other kinds of stuff on their systems in a very rapid way helping them understand what date things are on, make sure all the LPARs are operating like they should. We're being forced into with our clients by request. This is them coming to us and saying, we really need to take a peek at all these things because we had five people or six people working on this. We just got noticed that three are going to retire. And now we're down to two. But these three did these jobs. Can you do this for us? And I think the big push in the ZOS market for Vanguard is going to be to help our customers be more operationally efficient, give them the kind of output and information they need to run their business from a business perspective. Just like the simple request we had with the bank that before you can go ahead and four people in the bank and have the same password, now they want us to help each one of them do it and maybe we use... We have some tools could help elevate that process while they're in there. And I think that's the kind of marrying that we're seeing where we're taking 30 somewhat years of code, a vault of information, really smart developers. We develop all of our own stuff. How can we get in a room, gather all this stuff up, and help a customer achieve operational efficiency, better security, good reporting, answer to the CISO, pass the audits. And I think that's really how we're being pressed as a company, to help them run their business mm. better. I think you bring up the CISOs, which is
1: a really good point. CISOs, 30 years ago, were a different breed than they are today. They grew up in a the, – the, the mainframe was, the, if you will, prior to about 92, 93, was the mainstay of all data. Yep, really was. Mm. But over yeah. that time since then, CISOs have grown up in a different environment, it's Unix, Windows, Linux a very homogenous systems that are out there that are cloud stuff there's all kinds of things so they may not be exposed to this but they're exposed to the same principle and you brought up bad which is a good idea to to talk about a maintenance resilience that doesn't exist on a mainframe in an open systems in a cloud environment you have the ability to do nightly maintenance you have automated push technologies gos was described was done with two smpe as a type of manual intervention. Okay, There are some automated tools that will go on that. But you're going to find that in the future, you're going to see tools like VAD that help operationally push out a maintenance patch overnight without the humans, just like a Windows Mm -hmm. or a cloud upgrade. So we're going to be producing more and more things into that realm for operational efficiencies and put them in a way that a CISO, a newer CISO, who's been brought up in the cloud in the Unix and the Windows, we can say, look, that's just an SCCM for the mainframe at the end of the day. It's an automated system to push out that maintenance for you and here's how you do it and make sure it's applied and make sure it's applied.
0: that's so important. And we forget that a a denial of service attack is a direct contravention of security and therefore security is about availability. Uh, And you don't have availability if you don't have the bandwidth to get things done.
1: And the bandwidth not to do things is actually caused many of security breaches. And if you dig down into them, it's because the patch wasn't done. Well, why wasn't the patch done? Well, because they were doing other things. They didn't have time. Well, why didn't they have time? Well, we went from 10, three people retired. I got seven, three more retired. I got four. I haven't backfilled them. <laughs> I can't expect three guys
2: to do the work of 10. <laughs> no, just yeah. Even on underneath? Yep, we have a client that we're working with that it's an international government client, and they're, they they want to go ahead and move forward to help put better security on their system, but come to find out they're on what, what release level? that? Oh, two dot two, today. Two point yeah. two today. Yeah, today. And, you know, and they're and they're getting whacked in the head by the auditors. Get their system up and running, Well, come to find out that the people that were working on that system that were government employees have left. And like he said, the system
1: level, the operating system level that they were talking about had been gone out of support four years ago. And yet it was still running because operationally it didn't die. (laughs) (laughs) That
0: is a big issue. Uh, Are there any other really big issues you want to identify just before we wind up today?
1: You no, know, I appreciate your time and talking. But like you said, I think at the end of the day, Milt and our job is to talk about security to many, many different people. We talk mm-hmm. on a platform that's very large, has, and you've alluded to the complexity of those. The biggest thing that Vanguard, from its founder, it said from day one, Ron's big part was this company was about the knowledge of the system. Yep. What we bring is the knowledge of those systems and tie tools with knowledge so that you don't have to have as much of that. That's what we bring to the table.
2: One thing kind of nice, uh, not nice, but it's a real quality of what we deliver. We build it here, we test it here, we run it here, and it works. And uh, that's a nice feeling when you're pulling into the parking lot to know that we're helping our clients solve real business and security problems. And we, we get many requests to do special things for them. Mm-hmm. to help with their business. And we're able, because of our size and our agility, we're able to turn on a dime and help them solve the problems they need. And that's what security really is. You solve
1: one problem at a time, yeah. hopefully you get them all oh. solved. <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, you know, I, 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 the, the conversation has gone long and short at the same time. It feels like we just started. This has been absolutely fascinating. Um, Milton, John, it's been a real pleasure uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, I'll be back with another Podcast next month. But in the meantime, check out the other content on Tech Channel. You can also subscribe to their weekly newsletters, webinars, ebooks, solutions directory, and more on the subscription page. I'm Reg Herbert.